Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I think I've got my hive tool in my shed. I'll just go and get it. So Esther, I believe you've been to the allotment this morning. I know. There's just some nice early signs of spring coming with bulbs and blossoms starting to emerge. You can start to like smell things, can't you? And it was ever so nice. Oh, lovely. Oh, lovely. It was a little bit chilly, but not too chilly. I was chilly on my bike ride. I didn't wear gloves and my hands were freezing. Ooh. At night at the moment, because it's it's more in the single figures, the bees will be in a tight ball around the queen still. But mm-hmm. as long as the temperature's above eight degrees, they can start to move around and start to go along their business inside the hive. We're just getting into some days with double figures. That's all good for the bees and they can start to get out and they can fly. Oh, I can see a bee outside the hive. A bit cold, but we'll, we'll have a look at the front. Once it gets to 16 degrees, we've got the nectar rising and then they can start the process of making the honey. Oh, brilliant. So nearly there. And I was able to just lift the lid off the bees and just check that they had enough fondant because do you remember I put some fondant in for the winter? What does it, what does it look like, fondant? White icing. It's the sort of fondant that you see on a fondant fancy, but I won't be putting a fondant fancy in, just the fondant. Of course, they were all smaller colonies and um they didn't quite have enough of their own supplies yeah although we we only took you know a bit of a taster of their honey when you came to the allotment there still wasn't quite enough to see the through the winter if we did have a really windy spell and they couldn't get out or it, it turns freezing cold this fondant will just keep them going for a bit longer oh nice to see you I checked the fondant and there was a little bit left in the main colony in the Italians, but the two other ones had actually eaten theirs. And one of the the small swarm colony, they'd actually built some comb going up into where the fondant was at the top of the, the box. Very good girls. What's amazing, though, is that they, they, they did obviously collect enough stuff to build some, some wax. So that's a good sign. Mm. And so I just put some fondant around that, some more fondant. And because the temperature is quite mild in the day at the moment, they can get to work on that fondant and just uh, use that if they need to, just before the main next to flow comes in and the, the, the weather gets warmer. So it was right. all good. Um, and it was really, actually, it was brilliant that I got there just in time as, as the two small ones had pretty much run out of the, the fondant. Lovely girls. So that was good. I just wanted to take this opportunity to say, welcome bees to series three of Queen Bees. Long hot days in the shade of some big old tree. Making daisy chains and watching all the honeybees 
starry skies Every day is summer when you spend it here with me Who have we got coming on today then, Jane? Well, I've got my tree surgeon coming on. He's not my personal tree surgeon, but he's done a lot of tree surgery for me. And he's absolutely brilliant and incredibly knowledgeable about um, trees. And uh, his name is Rick Meldon. Hi, Rick. (laughs) Hello, Rick. Hiya. How are you doing? Hi, Rick. We're all right. Yes, very good. Very good. Are you in a tree house, Rick? (laughs) Uh, No, not today. Are you in a little hole in a in a trunk of a tree? No, I've decided to come indoors. It's a bit wet out there today. <laughs> I thought you'd be a good person to be on our podcast, Rick, because I thought you and Esther could talk about bees in relation to trees. And because they rhyme, it's even better. Mm, yeah, you do like a rhyme. You don't like a rhyme, trees, bees. But bees. Um, I just, uh, you know, I thought you are so knowledgeable about your trees, Rick. And uh, Esther's much better at absorbing information than I am. Oh, um, Jane, so, you're um, good. I had a tree in my garden, Esther, mm-hmm. which was a cherry tree, and it was over 100 years old. It was from the Edwardian times, and it was full of fungus. And last summer, I decided that it had to come down because actually you could rock the tree. Yeah, um, I remember your tree, actually, Jane. And so Rick came, and he and his men brought the tree down and we had a, a beautiful ceremony for it, didn't we, Rick? Yeah, it was fabulous. Very good. First time that's uh, ever happened to me. But it was, yeah, it was brilliant. Very, very emotional. Hmm, I bet it was. Yeah, it was. But the tree had to go. I mean, it yeah. was just it was just too dangerous. It was too close to the house. And, yeah, literally, if you leant on it, you could have pushed it over. Mm. Could you tell us about what funguses the tree had on it, Rick? Well, it had various uh, Ganodermas uh, on it, which is, you know, you you can liken it to a cancer on a a human, and it tends to eat the tree from the inside outwards. So the outer side of the tree is still alive, but uh, the inner portion of it gets eaten away. And if there's been a bad pruning wound or something, the fungus can grow on that, and it sort of gets into the internal of the tree. And then the tree tries to fight it off, and uses all its energy up, and then the other fungus come and they colonise. So, you know, it's like two or three fungus going at it at once. And um, what finally put pay to yours was the honey fungus, which is a root decay fungus. You can't see that, so you'd have to look at the signs. And your tree was oozing sap from it, and it was had dark and red spots on the trunk and various bits of dieback in the upper crown and. With that there, we put it together that it was uh, honey fungus doing the the main uh, bit of damage. So basically two or three fungus going at it together. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because obviously the fungus is there to sort of break down the tree as well, isn't it? So it sort of goes yeah. back into the earth. And so it's like a natural Well, it's process. a recycling fungus. They're all recycling funguses. So if the if the tree is in its natural environment, not surrounded by humans, it will fall over and then the, the fungus devour it. Mm. It just so happens that they were devouring this one in in someone's garden whilst it was still being enjoyed. But yeah, it's just a natural process and, yeah, they're, they're good really. All when when the tree came down and um, we felt inside it, Esther, it was just like yeah. marshmallow inside, all spongy. Was it? Mm. Yeah, that's 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 a classic white rot. That is, that's a classic what we find inside uh, a tree when it's had 
Ganoderma for a long time, and they usually fall over well before that stage. With your one, we tried to keep it alive for about, oh, must be a good five or six years by reducing the weight in the upper crown, but eventually it was just, you know, it was just no, no point in doing it anymore because the tree didn't look like a tree anymore. No, but it was amazing that it still kept, you know, getting leaves every summer. I was asking Rick Esther whether he'd ever come across, you know, some solitary bees in any of the trees that that he's come across. But you said no, didn't you, Rick? Well, not solitary bees, but we once felled a tree. It was a holm oak and there'd obviously been a squirrel dray up there. And um, the squirrel had built its dray or its house, wherever they are, and it had put a plastic bag up there and then it had built the dray around the plastic bag. Wow. The squirrel moved out and then a, a colony of bees came in and took over the dray. Yeah. And they were making their honey. So we felled the tree and we didn't know that the, the bees were in there. And, of course, it hit the ground because we felled it in one go. Yeah. And they swarmed out and they were yeah. all over the place. So we ran for cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I called my bee man. And he came out and because um, they were so aggressive, he, there was nothing he could do. He had to sort of uh, exterminate them. Oh, um, really? What time of year was it? I can't remember, to be honest with you. It was probably probably September, October. Well, I suppose the shock of them landing to the ground and, um, you uh, know, they, they might happy. have been. <laughs> yeah, they might have been in the process of doing something quite important, you know, like creating a new queen or something like that. And they probably just were really angry. A couple of days later, we went back when it was all clear and we dismantled the tree. And when yeah. we took the dray apart... What is a dray? Sorry to interrupt. What is a dray? It's where the squirrels make their house up a tree. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's like a big bird's nest. But, um, you yeah, know, they bring, they, they'll bring all sorts into... It might have been that a bag had flown up into the tree with the wind and then the squirrel had built, you know, stuff around it. Um, mm. Squirrels tend to have three or four lined up, so if they get turfed out of one, they can sort of bring their young and go to another one. Mm. I've witnessed that a couple of times because we've obviously made quite a few squirrels homeless over the years. Yeah, yes. we have, yeah. Um, go off with the shopping trolley to the next little little hole well, they, that they're going to live in. <laughs> yeah, with their plastic bags. <laughs> the suitcases. <laughs> but this plastic bag had filled with all the honey, so as they were producing the honey, it was dripping down and it was dripping and it had all congealed into the corner of um, this Tesco's shopping bag. Oh, Ooh. did you eat it? I did, yeah. Was it good? Oh, I bet it was. It was very good, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's probably not the normal practice for a beekeeper to come and kill the bees. Maybe no, we get we get advice from uh, from the, from my mate who is a, a pest controller, mm-hmm. and he'll come out. And sometimes the wild ones that are really aggressive that build their nests in the bottom of tree stumps, which we come across all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we ha- he has to exterminate those. But generally, the ones we find in compost heaps and in trees, sometimes like your tree, Jane, there was a there was a cavity a little bit higher and sometimes they colonise there mm-hmm. and you can sometimes dismantle the tree around them and then the bee man comes and takes them. It all depends on the strain of bees. There are some aggressive bees around. Yeah, well, what happens is, um, I don't know whether you know this, but um, like a lot of beekeepers in London use bookfast bees and they start off pretty good bookfast bees do and they're very productive and they're really good but after they've requeened so after their queen has gone and they make a new queen after about four years of doing that the natural process of their continuation is that they do get a bit more aggressive so after about four years those queens 
in their colonies are aggressive. So that's probably what you come across. Yeah. You know, maybe when because they're living in the wild, the the the, the beekeepers not change the queen. Sometimes if they're really aggressive, if you change the queen and give them a new queen, then that calms the whole situation down again. But if they're left to their own devices and they're living in the wild, they can get very aggressive and they can, you know, their guarding skills becomes really full on. And that's obviously what you experience. But if you were to recommend an alternative to exterminating them mm. <laughs> in this <Yeah>. situation, <laughs> what would you recommend to Rick? Well, I suppose Rick's beekeeper, I mean, obviously with the pest control guy, he's going to see that they're aggressive and straight away he's going to kill them. But if it was a beekeeper with a lot of experience, he'd probably, you know, close off the area, get his suit on, you know, get them in a hive, in a in a box, a new box, relocate them. And then once they settle down, he'd get the queen. He'd probably have to get rid of that queen and get another queen from another beekeeper that's a bit more gentle or even send off for one in the post that you can do and get a calmer new queen, which is... And how, you know, and how would he get those bees into a hive when they're all buzzing around and aggressive like that? Well, if they're in the tree and Rick was just saying that, you know, they might be in that inside cavity, they peel back the bark and then they've got the colony. I mean, it depends. I suppose I'm imagining, I don't know, I've never seen this, but I'm imagining some of them are just pretty impossible to relocate. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes they're under the ground. Yeah. Or in a compost heap or if we move a shed or, you know, take a stump out, uh, that's the only time that you really notice that they're there. They suddenly come flying out and you're... You're, yeah. you're already committed. Right, so you can't, I mean, you those can't ones... actually access the hive then, Rick, because it's, no. it's so far down. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. ones at the bottom of the tree, they're more like a large colony of bumblebees, which you can get like about 200 bees in. And once you disturb them, they're going to be really, you know annoyed yeah. i suppose that they're, they're a bit more it's a bit more difficult to remove them i've i've removed them once and they were in a, somebody's bird box mm. and they really wow. didn't want them in this bird box you know which was a shame really i mean there wasn't much i could do i just took the bird box away but of course they just flew back to where the bird box was but the you know a few of them stayed in the bird box and just allocate, relocated it to a different place but um i'm just imagining from what you're saying sometimes it's probably really complex to yeah, to very. find the queen and I, oh I'd love to do that sort of thing I sometimes watch these videos you know that you can see online of people getting bees out of all sorts of funny places but have you ever seen those um tree hives Rick they're made out of logs like in Russia and Eastern Europe they they hollow out the logs have you seen that uh, well, there's on the allotment that I've got in uh, in Feltham. There's a there's a guy there, and he's he's been making loads of them. Oh wow! Mm. I'd love to see those. Oh, we we get. I mean, Jane's tree was fantastic because every single branch on that was hollow. We could have used that, Jane. Could oh, you? Could've well, you've used... still got some of it, haven't you, Rick? I've got all of it. Yeah, I've kept all Rick's of it. Got all of it. Yeah, but it's not in its entirety of hollowness, is it? Yeah. It is, what? yeah. I've done nothing with it because we, we've we've had a lot of it in Jane's garden. We've made an eco pile, and we had excess. So when we did a, a little clear up the other day, we 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 took the excess bits and I took them back to the allotment. So I've still got them there. I'm going to give the excess ones to um, the, this guy that's been making bees. Hold on a minute. Hold on before before <laughs> you give them to the guy on the allotment. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Esther is wants this, them. 
Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I've got loads. Hold on, mate. And they're very, so, very reasonably priced as well. Ooh. <laughs> so what I was imagining, this is what I'm imagining, like a hollow log. Yeah. And so then you could fashion your own sort of lid on the top and yeah. then make a sort of a, a removable lid at the bottom. And then really you just put a swarm of bees in. You make a hole in the front and the bees can live in that natural environment. All right. And how would you collect the honey? Would you not collect it, Esther? Well, you wouldn't bother. What you do with that is that you could put that in a tree. You could strap it to a tree or you could just, some people put them on stilts or however, but let the bees live in that in a natural way. And then you catch the swarms from that. But, um, you know, it's a lovely natural way. That's that's basically when you've seen those swarms in those trees, that's how they live. That's their natural environment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I mean, we could make you a hundred of those. Oh, my God. I would love one. Oh, God. We, we've got to get one. Oh, that could yeah. be a project for us, Jane, and we could we could put it on the plot. How big are they? How big do you want one? Well, you, you'd want one about 1.3 metres high. Yeah. And then you'd want it not as big as a wheel, but around that size, big, wide. Because mm. you want to get quite a lot of bees in there, don't you? Yeah. What I'll do is anything that I get that's got like a hollowed out bit, I'll, I'll keep it and put it to one side, send you some pictures or, or give them to Ooh, Jane yeah. and then you can just have them. <gasps> God, that'd be brilliant. That's a dream yeah. of mine to have make one of those hives. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. How did you get into this profession? Well, I, I did engineering for 10 years and then a friend of mine who did have a big tree surgery company in Twickenham, I basically left the job for the summer and then he said, well, you know, why don't you come and work for me for a while? I, 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 I could do with a hand. And then it just went from there, really. So that was back in 1990. Wow. So I started helping him for a bit. And then when the engineering jobs came back in, uh, I didn't really want to do that anymore. So I sort of then trained to be a climber. I've been doing tree work ever since. Yeah, it's evolved from me wanting to cut every single tree that I see down to <laughs> trying to preserve as many as I can. Have you ever hugged a tree? Well, no. Not quite. I hugged one yesterday when it got a bit windy. I was I was climbing yesterday and it was windy, so I, I hugged on for dear life at one point. And did it save you? It did. It saved me and then I cut it down. It was quite sad, really. With keeping bees for the last, like, 
12 years. The best forage for honeybees is, is the tree forage really because you know they're a big colony so they've got the most flowers they can get are on a tree like the lime tree and mm. that's their favorite and the chestnut trees and everything but um i collect mushrooms Ooh. and so I've, at first i just used to collect mushrooms and think oh great i found some mushrooms oh brilliant Let, you know and now i've realized the symbiotic relationship between the fungus and the the tree yeah and I just feel like there's so much going on under the soil, you know, um, the, the the trees talking to the the mycelium, the fungus, and also, you know, insects are involved with that, aren't they? So the yeah. the um, you know, the what do you know about that? Oh, I know a fair, I know a fair bit about that because uh, uh, again, uh, you'll you'll see it in someone's garden, and then say a tree has died. And then you ask a lot of questions and quite often they'll say, oh, you know, the tree was fine. And, and then this year it just died. And then the investigation starts. So you, you then have a look around at the soil and sometimes there's uh, a, a mushroom evident. And then you'll look at the trunk of the tree and then you'll sometimes see a, a fungal bracket on the tree. And then you, you just piece it together. Some trees, like a beech tree, they get um, attacked by a fungus called Meripolis. And it's entirely a root decay fungus, so it's going on under the ground the whole time. And whilst it's eating the root system of the tree, it's also feeding the tree nutrients. So the tree looks magnificent and splendid, and then all of a sudden get a heavy wind and it blows over. And that's how that fungus works. It feeds the tree, keep it big and healthy, and at the same time it eats away the root system and then it becomes very unstable, and then it falls over, and then the other fungus come in and consume it. So the funguses have got different jobs in the, in the woodlands as well. So the, the, the purpose of an eco-pile is if you've got room for your eco-pile in the garden, collect all your old dead wood and make piles of it and then let the, the natural fungus come onto that wood and then you get a nice sort of combination of funguses in your garden because the only real effective way of controlling some bad fungus is other funguses and they sort of eat each other and they devour each other so the last thing that you want in your garden is a big pile of wood so as soon as a piece of wood falls off the tree you clear it away but what you should in actual fact do is make a pile of it so that the fungus can live on it and then of course you get the insects they carry the fungus and the good funguses and the bad funguses and the whole ecosystem starts we've got a couple of eco piles in jane's garden because it's big enough and if you have got a big enough garden, I think it's a great idea to have an eco-pile. You get stag beetles, spiders. And then does that, it, having the eco-pile, does it stop then the funguses attacking, you know, your, your trees that you want not to have fungus? I mean, for example, the honey fungus, which is quite prevalent in Richmond and Twickenham, that's quite a nasty fungus. And there is no known cure that you can buy from, you know, from the garden centre. But... There are wild funguses like a white cord fungus, which is in the woodland setting, um, will keep honey fungus under control. But of course, mm. that only grows on substantial amounts of, of deadwood in the woodland. So in and around Twickenham, we clear all that and the honey fungus is thinking, great, there's nothing to attack me and I'll go looking for work. And so there is no fungus. So all you can do is encourage these other funguses into your garden and hope that they have a, a control element attached to them so that they keep your honey fungus under control. Mm. Why is it called honey fungus? Honey fungus, um, the mushrooms that it produces are, 
are honey coloured. You'll get them in clumps around the trunk of oh, a tree. Oh, I've seen them. Yes. Yeah, uh, but they're they're very. It is confusing. edible actually, but you do have to cook it for a long time. Yeah, it's edible, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't risk it. I've not eaten it either, but apparently, Oof. um, a lot of people in Eastern Europe they they make a stew out of it, but you do have to cook it for hours and hours. I think it tastes it tastes good. Apparently, I had um, an issue with my car some years ago where it was raining into my car and mushrooms grew on the um, floor of the back seat in my car. Cool. Do you think that mushrooms had a symbiotic relationship with my car? <laughs> uh, what, type, what, what brand was it? Was it a Volkswagen? Yes, it was a VW Golf. It oh. still is. Yeah, well, there you are, you see. It's very old. Well, they're obviously feeding off each other, the mushrooms on your seat. and Well, it's, it wasn't. It was in, in the well. It was in the well of the car. Oh, maybe there was a few sort of fungal spores on your trainers and, you know, and they sort of they exactly, caught hold in you. That's exactly what it car. was. That's exactly yeah. what it was because there's spores everywhere. I don't carry fungal spores. Not You're just... full of them. We all are. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably got some but in my what hair. about... <laughs> Going back to the bees, Rick. So you had that experience that you were saying with the vicious bees. Have you ever had any more um, experiences where you've chopped a tree down and you've found honey dripping out the wood or, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, I'd say probably five or six times over the last 20 years that we've actually encountered ex-hives because sometimes we get to take the tree out after the customer has already uh, noticed that there was bees and had them moved and then... Of course, they, they don't know what the internals of the tree are going to reveal. And we quite often come across it. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite lovely, actually. <laughs> but it's a real treat when you get that. So like a real ad- adventure for the day, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you, I mean, the thing with it is, is you can't get too carried away with it because you're in someone's garden getting paid to do a job. And sometimes you, you, you encounter something like that and it, it kind of interferes with getting the job done, but yeah. but it is quite a nice uh, distraction sometimes. If you've got enough time to look at it and admire it, it's it's fine. But usually we're under a bit of pressure to get the tree down, get it out safely, and and you don't always get uh, the time to sort of have a dig around and and look. But and we tend to have a small team, so we we do have more time than most people. But, you know, we we are under pressure sometimes to, to get it because by the time we get called in to take a tree out, the kind of tree where a bee would be burrowing underneath, it's usually because the tree is in trouble or it's it's already died or something. So the speed we can get the tree down and out is the important thing. You tend to get it more when you're taking the stumps out, um, mm. when we do stump removal, because that's where the tree's been down for quite a long time and the bees have come along, found a, a nice access point and they start building homes and it's not until you actually get into the undergrowth and start vibrating around with a stump grinder that that you you find them mm. and they literally can be sort of you know, a foot or so 18 inches two feet underground you, you've got no idea they're there that's definitely the bumblebees yeah, well, yeah. we did um, some trees on the golf course in greenford and i was working on the tree next to the a tree stump and the vibrations from the tree i was working on annoyed a particular bee and uh, it came out and I could see it buzzing near me. So I swiped it away because I didn't really know it was a problem. So I swiped it and it went backwards about three feet in the air and then hovered and then came flying back and stung me. (laughs) 
Terminator. It was. It was like a cartoon. It sort of hovered in midair, hovering mad, and then came back. And then, so I was looking at it because obviously I battered it onto the floor. And as I looked at it, I could see all the other ones coming out of the of, of the stump. So I was like, oh my god! <laughs> into battle. Yeah, straight in. About four of them. Four of them came after me. And did you get stung again? Yeah, I got stung about six times in the end. <laughs> oh, God. I couldn't get out. The van, I could see the van, but I couldn't get into it because um, it was behind a fence. So I was scrambling to try and get, and they just got all over me. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was so quite that, funny. that would have been a regret, was it, that you, yep. you swatted that poor bee away? Yeah. Well, I, I haven't swatted one since, just in case. <laughs> Good. <laughs> back a tree like a a lime for instance mm-hmm. i mean i've had my lime tree cut right back in my garden and there's loads on the streets as as there are all over london mm. um you know they cut them back every couple of years on the streets so does the tree ever get chance to flower in that time you know because like a big old lime tree in the summer you know you get so many flowers mm. the ones on the street you don't seem to see flower so much and does that affect the tree well it does eventually i mean the flowers will grow on, on any plant will always grow on the mature growth it won't grow on new growth mm. um it, it grows on the mature growth and obviously with a big tree like a lime tree if you keep on pollarding it because that's what it's called if you keep on pollarding it mm. like uh, sue pollard <laughs> yeah like very sue similar pollard. you keep sue pollard in it you keep sue pollard in it <laughs> but like that you know like most sue pollards it gets a bit annoying after a while <laughs> Poor sue. No, i don't know her. i'm sure you do but um <laughs> yeah if you do that to a tree too often it doesn't have enough energy because the trees store energy and they get that mm. energy from the leaf structure and and then it produces energy and it goes down and it stores it as carbohydrates. So you cut the tree or the branches off and it uses all that energy and it sends out a new crown. So the Mm. ideal thing to do is to allow it to develop a crown, have some leaves, two or three years, replenish its energy stores, and then you can cut it down and start the process again. So if you kept on continuously cutting it back, at some point, a mm. fungus might be waiting in the wings, and when the tree uses all its mm. energy to send out a new crown, that's sometimes when you can get the fungus in and um, while the tree's at its lowest ebb. So, it's, I suppose it's a frustrating thing, isn't it, with yeah. lime trees because you know they're very sappy. You know, and if you park your car underneath it, then they're they're not very good for cars because we our our road is is lined with um, lime trees, and there's endless grievance by the neighbours about some of them wanting to cut the trees down because of this sap. Oh, gosh. I suppose that it's the flower sap, isn't it? I mean, I'm obviously much more pro the trees. Um, forget about the cars, but, you know, lots of people are very keen on their cars. <laughs> it's not actually the sap, is it? That It's not, is it, Rick? What is it it's that aphid goes on? Droppings. It's the aphids, isn't it? Oh, yeah. the aphids. Yeah, well, they, they, they pr- process it mm-hmm. so quickly that they stick their little noses into the leaf and they get the fluids out. And they process it so fast that it comes out the back end of them and it's like a continuous flow of um, aphid droppings. Oh, is it? Yeah. Mm. Well, that's what you're getting. And bees actually like that as well. They'll actually eat that and make that into honey. Ugh. Really? Yeah, that's so, honeydew honey. Uh, oh, is it's it? It's a very, very nice honey, actually, yeah. 
Um, so if they've not got the flowers on the lime, the, the bees will actually take that aphid um, poo. Well, yeah. some people don't call it poo, but it's mm. whatever it is. And they'll make honey out of that. So they don't starve themselves then with not having the flowers. They will go for an alternative. What concerns me is, is that if the tree never allowed to flower... I mean, of course, I want all those lime trees to be flowering for the for the bees to get their lime. That's the trouble with having a, a managed tree. You know, once you go down the line of pollarding it, it has to be pollarded. That's the management route you've taken for that tree. So you would love it to grow and, and develop a new crown again. But if it did, it would have weaknesses where it was pollarded. So, you know, if you've decided that the best course of management for your tree is pollards then that's it for the rest of the life of that tree it, or it oh, should really? be yeah oh. so that's why you have to have a series of trees some that you leave alone and just thin out and lift a little bit and yeah that's what prune. i do with my beech tree yeah, yeah and, and that works perfectly and other trees you know if you've got them on a street setting you know, they have to be pollarded because that's the management route that was taken Yes, you see, I don't think I don't think any of our lime trees in in our road ever flower. They're very very resistant to pollution and disease. Lime trees, which is why they're a perfect street tree. However, mm. I think when they were planted, however many years, sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety years ago, I don't think a lot of thought was gone into the amount of cars that would be on the on the roads by now. Um, mm. There wasn't that many cars back in the forties when, or the thirties when these trees were planted. Right. Yeah. And it's become a problem now. And um, Rick, I, I um, did ask you about um, planting some bee forage in my garden. Yeah. I think that you were going to seek some out for me, but um, you have a, an allotment, don't you? Yeah, I've just taken on an allotment in, uh, in Feltham over near the airport. It was an old plot that was completely and utterly overgrown and nobody would take it on. So uh, I got it about four or five weeks ago. Um, it's actually about... Three allotments all stuck together. Oh, yeah. good. And it's very long. So I got the JCB in there for the day and we pulled out all the old foliage and the beds and we stripped it back to soil. And I'm currently filling it full of wood chip to sort of even it out so that we don't get muddy boots. And then we are planting apple trees. It's already got um, gooseberry, raspberry, blackberry, redberries, Hazelnuts, uh, slowberries, and plum on it already. So the slowberries are quite interesting. I want to get as much of that as I can. So I've pruned back all the slowberry bushes. Oh, uh, we be making slow gin. I will. That's exactly why. Lovely. That's exactly what I'm going to be doing. Mm. Oh, great. And will you be planting anything bee friendly? I will be planting bee friendly stuff because the guy that's got the plot next to me came over and. Straight away challenged me. <laughs> what are you doing? Ooh. Yeah, mm-hmm. armed with a bee, just in case I got a bit lippy. <laughs> and uh, and he asked me what I was going to be planting. And I said, well, I'm not entirely sure yet. What would you like me to plant? And he said, well, don't touch this side. And I said, okay, I won't touch that side where your bees are. But if you can help me out with some plants that your bees might like. then he said, oh, yeah, cool, I can do that. So what there is there is a huge rosemary plant. It's about four metres by four meters wide it's a huge rose and he said his bees love to come onto that Mm -hmm. Um, so they basically come straight out the hives past the plum trees and onto this rosemary um, plant so he's going to give me some information about some plants and he's also going to get me some 
and um, I'm going to plant them on my bit, and then the excess will come over to your garden, Jane. Wonderful. But that's going to take a couple Ooh. of weeks yet. I need to. That's uh, okay. Yeah, <clears throat> but basically, with the allotment, we're we're just getting it down to the bare earth to start off with. And then we're putting fences around the side of it to keep the foxes out. And will you be making those out of all your, your wood that you've chopped down and stuff? Uh, some of it, yeah. I've already built one little eco pile uh, for the stag beetles. I've buried some lime, some poplar and some oak. And I've buried it half standing. So I've dug some holes and I've, I've put it in about 500 mil deep. And mm-hmm. I've got about 500 mil above the ground. And I've done two or three stands of that. So I'll just see Ooh. what comes onto that. Ooh. We're going to make some bee hotels as well, and I'm going to put them Ooh. periodically around the whole thing so that if the guy with the bees next to me, if any of his bees get made homeless, they can come and live with me. Brilliant. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. So it's, it's, I've never had an allotment before, so I'm sort of learning. I mean, I've done lots and lots of planting for customers, but um, I've never actually had anywhere to plant myself. So I shall be – I shall be – Interested in, in what I can get. Have you got any advice for Rick, Esther, on um, on an allotment? It's a good idea to have a look what everybody else is growing and see if, you know, other people are growing, like, the same things in, you know, on the same plots, and that always is a good indicator to what grows well. I think it's good to grow things that are perhaps a bit more expensive in the shops. Such a big area I've got. I'll, I'll have enough room to put all sorts all over the place. Hmm. Oh, fantastic. Are you going to have allotment parties? Because that's what Esther does. Uh, <laughs> yes, I am. Um, <laughs> it's part of the um, the Feltham community that they've given it to me. And part of the reason I've got it is they said that once I've got it built and established, um, if I can have the odd workshop down there at weekends showing people how to prune things how to build uh, planting beds, etc., etc. So I'll be doing a fair bit of that once I get it built. Are you going to build a log house out of your, all your logs? I am. To live in. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about living in it, but, uh, yeah, I might spend a fair bit of time down there. If I'm in the doghouse, I might as well go down to uh, my log house. Yeah, We have a log table and a log chair. Well, I will because, do you know, the tree that we cut down for you, Jane, that yeah. section... I've got the biggest hollowed out section and my ex-wife has just, um, she's almost finished the artwork on the on the tabletop. Oh, brilliant. So what it is, is it's a big section. It's probably about 500 mil deep and it's, you know, the size of a, a big bicycle wheel mm. and it's completely hollow. And I've got this tabletop that fits on the top of it and it's got all sorts of cherry artwork on it and things. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Yeah, because mm. well, you're particularly fond of that tree, weren't you, Jane? That's very exciting. Mm. Yes, it is. Thanks so much for coming on our show. It's oh, uh, on pleasure. our podcast. You've been absolutely amazing. It's been so, um, well, I knew you knew a lot about trees, but it's been so nice for you to come and share all that with Esther and, and our oh, listeners. it was really lovely. Yeah, yeah. I loved it, Rick, and I'd love to come down to your allotment and see your log cabin. <laughs> Just quickly, Rick, before you go, do you teach wood whittling? No, I don't really have time for that. I don't have time for that. <laughs> well, no, I w- I'd love to have time for it. I've made a load of stuff out of all the interesting bits of wood that I've got. I've got loads of that that I've done myself, but I wouldn't say I was um, uh, an expert level to teach it. But, um, you know, it's all about the finding the right piece of wood. 
you can find a nice, interesting piece of wood. You don't have to do a lot to it. You just need to sort of take the bark off it and polish it up a bit and you can make yourself a lovely thing. A lovely pair of clogs. Of clogs, yes. Oh, wow. My daughter has just started <laughs> wood whittling. And has she? Uh, so I was, if you're going to give um, Esther some logs, some bee homes, if you find an interesting piece of, a small interesting piece of wood, maybe from my tree, could I have that? Then I could give it to my daughter. Yeah. The next interesting piece I find, I'll put it to one side and I'll drop it off. You're Excellent. Make Thank it. you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. bye. Yeah, take care now. Bye. See you, bye. 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 <laughs> oh, that was great, oh. wasn't it, Tessa? Oh, it was really lovely, Jane. It was great to meet Rick and it was so lovely to hear you as well. So... And you Thank too. you very much. And I look forward to coming to the allotment very soon. Oh, yeah. It's not going to be long now. Yeah, we in exactly. our little suits together. Well, mine's a big yeah. suit and yours is a little suit. Hmm. Little and large, I think that's what we Well, at least I don't have to wear that child suit now we've got our new suits. Brilliant. Well, until the next time, Essie. I love so you So long, my dear friend. Love you. Bye. 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 And I'll call you. is written and created by Esther Coles and Jane Horrocks. It is produced by Claire Broughton, Andy Goddard and John Wakefield and partly recorded at The Hives on my allotment near Crouch End in London. Our title music is Sweet Nothing by Amy May Ellis and Will Cookson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Queen Bees Pod for pictures and videos from The Hive. Queen Bees is a hat-trick podcast.